Right, here we are. Okay, um, so this is just one of the series of roundtables that the Nordics team at Evolution are going to be doing. Um, this one is for kind of like people senior within uh, technology, and we're discussing, you know, scalability within distributed teams. You've all posed uh, questions, but if we look at the format of the invite, uh, Matt's your first at the top of the list. So if you'd like to start and pose your question to the group, you can start right. with that. Of course, yes. So, so my question was a bit uh, right, like how to achieve like everyday creativity and innovation uh, within teams and in between teams. And what I'm talking about there is the fact that working remotely, and especially in these times, many people work from home and so forth. Um, the the you can't really plan for like creativity. <laughs> these ideas that spring up when the conditions are right. Uh, and typically what I've observed is that that happens in meetings that were not planned. So when you're in an office environment and you like you, you talk to guys and other teams, so forth, what are they doing and so forth, and then suddenly some kind of synergies pop up. Oh, let's try this, let's try that. What I observe now is that, that that's kind of hard because you need a reason to kind of start asking someone something and so forth. And uh, even though you can see that probably productivity and so forth looks good, um, I'm, I'm a bit at loss now on how to make sure that uh, these, these creative things actually happens, that you cannot just set a, get a hack day or do that and that. Small things, right? That just happens. So, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of my, 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 my question, uh, I, I guess. How to, if there are any means you guys know about, how to get that informal connections that just make sure communication happens. Uh, and it's not planned. So it's a bit um, vague maybe, but that's uh, you know something that I'm concerned about. So that's why I thought I want to bring it up. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, Gus, should we start with you? Um, yeah. Yes, uh, this is something I all, always wonder myself as well. Uh, I've been changing, tweaking on the team lately. And one thing that's been, uh, that did a massive change on how the team can collaborate and find new solutions together is one thing is when working with remote teams and even if you use Slack a lot, mm. people tend to go directly to the to the manager or to someone directly and say, yeah, I have a problem with this and that. Mm. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be like very pushy to, yeah, don't ask me questions directly. Ask questions to the dev team, ask questions on the channel. And sometimes I, uh, now the team, uh, after a few weeks, they post the questions directly on the dev channel. And if I don't reply right away, someone will reply. And, and, and that's when collaboration starts working. You leave space and you, you try to not be, you try to help your team, but not be their only source to go. And I think this is, uh, this is what we working. It's a small team, but, this is working uh, wonders on the last weeks for us. Mm, yeah. So rather than going on to one individual and targeting that one person for an answer, you're kind of like posing it to a group of people so that everybody can kind of like pitch in their idea and, you know, come up with the best solution out of all of them. That yeah, mm. sounds good. Uh, Johan, how about you? It's like what you're doing, right? Which is nice because then, it, you know, by posing a question, you give a hint also at what you're working at. So you don't mm -hmm. only want the solution, but you're also contributing with some context to others, which means that they can hook down. So I, yeah, I like the like the concept. I like the idea. Yeah, yeah but it's uh, interesting. Uh, like it's a very important topic as well. Like as you say, like productivity might be good uh, working remote because you have like a very standard way of uh, working. But the chaotic environment that is often in the in the office, you know, in the by the um, coffee machine or wherever like you're missing those so um i mean i think number one is you you need to like even if you work remotely you need to meet every once in a while and you know create these chaotic sort of environments where where you can bounce ideas back and forth but other than that like if you're working remotely um I, yeah i like the the idea from goose you know just throwing something out there in the in a in a more global channel but uh yeah i don't know like informal video meetings perhaps or like 
yeah, informal meetings where maybe maybe the um, context isn't set. Mm, um, yeah. But it, but it's hard. But it's hard to so it's hard to create environments for innovation. It just have like it. Yeah, if we had such a formula, it would be. Question, would <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's tough, but I don't know. I guess there's no silver bullet, right? Uh, but I'm just think, reflecting a bit also on, on things we do when, or say, let's just have a meeting and just, you know, check in with each other and so forth, which is useful anyway, because you're not meeting. But then maybe there's even a, a thing that we don't talk that much about what we're working on because we do it otherwise. So it's get like only social or only like work. And I think mm. that is uh, like when you actually are social, things uh, regarding work, if you're in the office at the coffee machine or have Friday beer or something, then, you know, you, you, you like what you do, hopefully. So you might tell a bit of what's happening and so forth. And, and that is really hard to recreate, uh, like virtually, uh, because you don't know what's going to happen. So, mm. so I, I, I don't really have a good answer, but I, I like also that the idea of creating these informal spaces where things can happen and there is no specific agenda. Uh, then it's up to people to share, right? And to feel uh, comfortable and safe in that zone so that they, you know, open up and say, yeah, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so so I, I think that's a, a way towards that. Yeah. Agendaless um, meetings are, you know, a, a, mm -hmm. I've been speaking to quite a few engineering managers, CTOs, you know, over the past few months anyway. Um, and they are just doing like, you know, Fika coffee catch ups, you know, where people just are just checking in with each other with no agenda set. Mm -hmm. and that's why yeah. they're doing it. I was also speaking with uh, Christopher Ehrman. He works at uh, Klarna. He's an engineering manager there. And mm. every fortnight, he just takes his team out for a, a, a lunch. So, you know, yeah. it's, you know, the lockdown mm. restrictions aren't quite as severe in Sweden. So sometimes mm. not only are you getting out of the four walls of your house, if you're on, you know, working from home all the time, sometimes getting yeah. out there and actually, you know, having a lunch with your colleagues. There's no agenda at the lunch. But you're, yeah. you're eating there with colleagues, so of course work will be discussed. So that mm. kind of like generates a separate level of a conversation that can happen. So yeah, discuss it. Yeah, and I think also like taking uh, you know the coworkers out for lunch. Uh, I mean, you're not saying it's going to be uh, an innovation lunch. <laughs> no, exactly. and, uh, I wouldn't label it. <laughs> Put it in exactly. the diary. No, but I mean, it's, it's same thing with sort of like informal meetings. You you wouldn't call them uh, perhaps innovation meetings uh, to sort of stress something out of them. Uh, maybe you should have the same take as yeah, we're going for lunch or something like that. Um, it's hard to replicate it remotely, of course, but um, yeah. Yeah, I think, like you say, with everybody working remotely, that is the biggest challenge is you actually kind of need sometimes to get people together, with mm. it, whether it be in a, a meeting via video mm. or, you know, for a restaurant or lunch at some point. Because that's but, how, but how would you have such an informal meeting remotely? Yeah. One time, one time uh, in a previous startup, we, we, we were going to have like sandwiches and lunch at the team and the team that was remote we sent them pizzas and they were joined on video uh that worked quite well except in our office because we said sandwiches and uh, the person responsible for the sandwich came up with a bunch of subway sandwiches but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> i i think so, one thing that i tried in the previous company was a bit different, but it was like remote. Uh, not everyone was working like uh, at home or anything, but there was two different offices, but they needed to communicate. And then uh, we, we actually set up a fairly big screen and actually a, a always on video conference. So that, and you could actually walk up to the screen and just like say, hey, <laughs> and then someone would hear it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it created a kind of a, a sense of that kind of in the close room close by or something. Uh, and the thing with it was that it, since it's always on, no one needed to put it on. No one needed to schedule a meeting. No one needed to do anything. It was just there. But that won't work really, I think, uh, obviously, because if everybody's at home, then it's like everybody's watching everybody all the time. <laughs> yeah. so, so it doesn't translate well when people are distributed like and not in different offices. But uh, it, it was one way to, to, to try to get that closeness uh, in that particular setup. But I, I, I don't think it works here, right? 
but uh, sometimes you know you can come up with uh, some some ideas of of getting that that threshold right down so, so people don't think oh i'm disturbing someone or i'm, I'm interrupting them because everybody wants to have a flow they don't want to get a lot of interrupts but at the same time some interrupts really are great because you can get writer's block in whatever industry or mm. role that you're working in where sometimes you do mm. just need to step away for 5 10 15 minutes and then you can yeah. go back to you've not actually discussed that issue with anyone that's just mm. just by pulling yourself away you're then more yeah. productive when you go back. So you, whether you're taking a five, 10 minute break just to go outside and get some fresh air, or you're just jumping into like a video call with a colleague, you know, you know, talking about what you're going to do at the weekend, even that can actually improve the productivity and, you know, increase the creativity as well. That's, that's part of what you were talking about as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I imagine how many, how you said that you have quite a few teams that you've got uh, at Truecaller, right. and I imagine there's quite a number of people within each team. So it's not yeah. like you can't take you know 50 people out for lunch. <laughs> like no, exactly, exactly. And and I think within a certain team, it's a certain challenge. But I think that actually is much more manageable. Mm. I think the 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 thing when they interact uh, across different domains and 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 there you could have something that is really is hard to plan for just because they realize we work on this and maybe we can use this in this scenario as well. That is even harder because then the group gets too big, and uh, and you need to kind of. So I think that's um, that's really hard to, to to solve. But you can always focus, of course, on the team that is a handy size, and then and then try to optimize there. Um, so so yeah. Well, the the teams are going to be in touch with each other all the time anyway. So you could potentially just reach out to the tech leads within each team and take them out yeah. instead, and that way you force. But that that, that actually is, that depends because. Uh, some of the questions here are really interesting because when it comes to like engagement, motivation and so forth, one factor I think is super important is like uh, uh, autonomy. Uh, and, and how we try to deal with that is that we want to have teams that are small enough, independent enough, so they actually can make you know, the stuff they need to do without reaching out because it scales much better, uh, especially since we have quite a few teams now. So, so that, but the, the flip, the, the other side of that is, of course, that there's not that much communication going on by design. And, and, and it gets cut off even further when we have this situation that we really work remotely. So, so that is, um, it, you know, you win some, you lose some. But it's an interesting fact, actually, that, that uh, we, we don't have that much interaction across. And then it gets even harder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so other than agendaless meetings and, you know, surprise lunches, for example, are mm. there any other ways in which anyone here could suggest, you know, achieving creativity and innovation between teams? Well, you have the uh, approach that Google does and other companies, which is 20%, uh, you can do whatever you want um, mm. with whomever you want on, on the company. I think that's a, also a really good idea. I mean, mm. You you don't ex you you would expect a lot of uh, you know unproductive stuff coming out of those uh, yeah of those twenty percent perhaps but um, the the things that really comes out uh, that's good uh, might be it's probably worth it I'd say I think actually that that one thing where you can have a shared space is ideas right because if you know that you have time to work on something and you actually pitch that okay I want to do this anyone want to join in. Yeah. Then maybe you know an analytics guy thinks, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I can contribute. And you, know, so you actually do get that collaboration. So I, I really like the idea. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, that that probably is is uh, would be very attractive also to people uh, having like, okay, we know we have additional time. Let's have a clear forum where everyone can pitch ideas and everyone can join in, and then they can take it from there. There's no central management of it. So uh, it is actually this is a really good idea. I think. Yeah, fantastic. Um, yeah, so you happy with that uh, question, Matt? Happy with the feedback yes. you got on that one? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay, so uh, Johan, uh, we've got quite a little bit of like subtopics within yours. Obviously, you know, it's not an easy question that you're asking. Uh, so yeah, take it away. Ask, uh, yeah, so. For my question, I'm wondering a little bit how to recruit for a remote first company. 
what to think about uh, when it comes to uh, where to find people, recruitment process, and uh, yeah, follow up on new hires. It touches a little bit about what we already spoke about and what we're going to sp speak about. But basically, what changes when you can only sort of uh, recruit for, let's say, people in Stockholm versus now you can recruit all, all around the world? What challenges, what what pros and what cons do you have? Um, Matt, do you want to take this one first? You've worked with some guys, you know, with some teams yeah. globally yeah. already, so you might have some insight here. So, so part of this, I think I can, can you know, at least have a decent opinion about because we, we recruit worldwide, even though we have the central office in Stockholm and we have a central, uh, actually a hub also in Bangalore. Uh, so... Uh, and as I mentioned, there's the percentage of, of, of uh, people from the rest of the world is really high. Uh, so we never very seldom meet anyone when we recruit them. We have to do that whole process uh, like remotely. Then the objective is, of course, for them to travel and, and, and start working in Stockholm. So it's a bit different like in the end. But from a recruitment perspective, uh, this is pretty much how we do it. It's really rare that I get into a room with actually a candidate. <laughs> Not many times it happened in the last three years. And I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it, it works. Um, uh, you, you, the, the most difficult thing is when it comes to communication, I think, because you uh, speaking is one thing, uh, and uh, but reading someone, <laughs> uh, when you're in the same room and try to figure out, because you signal so much with your body, uh, mm. th that means that, I usually need to have more like second-hand opinions. So when I do an interview, I always have another person, a manager, so kind of on the same level or something, that just tries to, to put out some questions and, and then try to figure out how do they respond, how does it sound like, and so forth. So even then, when you, you, you talk about it, you say, like, okay, so what was your impression, pretty much? Uh, or... Like, do you get, did you get enough to, to make a judgment? And then we discuss around that. And eventually it could be that, yeah, we probably need maybe another session. <laughs> we need to figure out some stuff. Uh, one time, for instance, I, I, I really didn't get the guy, the, like a background where his drivers were and so forth. But then it turned out that I have another person from the same country, knowing a bit about like the, uh, the, the cultural, the socioeconomic circumstances, things like that. So, so she had a chat with the guy as well to try to just like a very friendly like interview, not really pinpointing his technical abilities or anything, and and that helped me a lot because she can then contribute to the context that I was missing out on. So, uh, so it, it's hard, it's hard, um, but you kind of also get used to it. You get better at it <laughs> uh, over time. Uh, so it's definitely doable. Then when it comes to follow up and so forth. Uh, I, I don't, so far, uh, I've recruited some, uh, you know, people who haven't been able to even travel here because of the pandemic. So they'll be working four or six months and obviously follow up to see how things are going and so forth. There, I, I, I trust, you know, the team where they work a lot uh, because it's in the day-to-day, -day, you know, conversations and decisions making and, and, and what happens that, uh, that you can get the best feedback. Uh, so if they have to work fairly independently and not uh, in a team setting where, where you know, they have to interact a lot, then it's really hard. <laughs> so if it's possible to, to have the team coach and, and follow up and the team understands that this is part of their, like, uh, the job to make sure that this works and escalate if it doesn't and so forth, then it, it seems to work actually better than I thought. They feel welcome. They, they get productive. Uh, they they feel that they you know can uh, chat with anyone they get help and so forth, but um, as a manager I'm a bit like uh, I don't have that much power so I have to obviously delegate it to to a team who works close with that person then it's it works with the follow ups then you get enough data and so forth without being in the same room um, um, yeah so I think that's maybe um, um, my initial thoughts regarding that 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 question. Finding people, yeah, that's one thing, of course. <laughs> I don't know, you know, that's just hard. That's and my job. Big company, you're, that, and of course, you might have a presence of a brand, and you can actually spend money using, you know, headhunters and stuff like that. So, 
I think it's quite different from uh, from the startup scenario. Uh, so that I leave to Gus, for instance. <laughs> yeah. So Gus, what's your opinions on that? Because you yeah, uh, not just from you know your company now, but from the uh, other companies that you've worked for. Uh, right now, we're actually starting some hiring process, and because the team we have now, uh, I brought from other companies that I, I worked with, so doesn't apply much the, the finding people. I think like when you start up, you the first hires are probably people you already know because you need to get to the market fast. You need to start developing fast, so it, it comes a lot of networking. But then. And now what we have been doing in the last weeks is we set up uh, we set up a job role, of course, and we post mostly, we don't post on LinkedIn on places that you have to put, but we, we try to go a little bit more niche. So in Sweden specifically, we use a lot of the hub, which is basically for startups because we know the public looking there are looking to start in startups. They know it's different from big companies. So just the place that you put an advertising on can bring different candidates. Mm. And another thing is we always keep an open application. So you never know when someone that's very driven to your idea, to your company will show up and okay, we're not planning to hire that person now, but this person is way better than probably if we put a post there. So being open to this is another thing. And then after we find a few candidates that we like and we have at meetings, I try, one thing is, I learned it from uh, a big friend of mine that's an expert in HR says that hiring is just, uh, it's a data-driven process. People need to show that they actually, what they say, they can deliver and they can fit your culture. So we do a very extensive round of cultural fit to understand is this, is this person either remote or, or, or live? We're gonna like them before we actually get into the technicalities. Can they do the job? Because I think it's uh, having a fit is more important uh, if the person is a genius, but they won't fit with your team. Yeah, maybe sometimes it's better to have to have someone that can fit very well with the team, working very collaboratively, and then you can teach them the new stuff on their role. So be able to learn uh, to learn on the job is something that so that's why we don't even put like okay uh is it a senior or a junior level position well i don't know maybe sometimes a junior person that's very driven can 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 be much more helpful to us than someone that's already been on the market for a lot of years and have a, a way to do stuff and then we try to replicate our work environment so we do that through uh tests uh we give we usually give candidates a test and replicating the real environment means uh, sometimes information can be um, um, have some ambiguity. Uh, you can't deliver everything of that, so they might need to prioritize. Um, so simulating a real environment, I think it's easier. So is the candidate asking a lot of questions? Are they leaving to the last minute? Do they come back with new ideas? Do they do more than they were asked to? So these are uh, other things that we look, uh, we try to look for when when looking for these hires. And of course, uh, I think the most important is uh, every time is communication because uh, coding, especially when working with developers, people can look on Google, look on Stack Overflow, find answers. And I mean, if they can make questions, I think it's more valid than if they they can know the whole documentation of a library out of their heads. So, so it's more about looking for people that have the right personality, not exactly the 100% of the skills. Okay, so you've covered quite a lot of the recruitment process there, specifically with regards to the testing that you do. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious out of all three of you here on this one with regards to the recruitment process, because every company takes this differently. Uh, you'll have a cultural interview, you'll have like a technical interview, and then the tests that you can have, you can have a personality one, you can have a coding test, uh, you can have like a, a logic test, that's what uh, is big on at Klarna. What's your opinion on all these uh, like personality tests and logic tests beforehand, or is it just the coding test that you think is sufficient when you're hiring a developer? Yeah. Uh, what 
sorry. No, like I was just about to say, like uh, I haven't done any technical recruiting quite yet. I mean, other than other than the co-founder uh, who joined, uh, but um, I think uh, when it comes to technical recruitment, I think it's like other than doing like a standard test, uh, maybe they could you know show something that they have built and explain how they did stuff and. Uh, why they took certain decisions uh, rather than um, yeah, doing something completely new, perhaps. That's one tip, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, uh, and we have also did different variants of tests uh, when it comes to the technical parts and so forth and for, for different like disciplines areas. I think that, that the key thing is to, to get like the, uh, the dialogue going, right? Uh, just like Johan said, that trying to understand how did you reason? What, what was the basis of this and so forth? So that on the outset, the test or the assignment or what it would be is uh, is just a starting point, and then uh, trying to through that figure out like okay, how does this person solve problems, uh, and, and that gives you a much better idea of the potential as well, because uh, you could get people who obviously are really verse, versatile in some areas, and and you know they know that stuff, but it doesn't tell you that much of how they will perform. They only tells you what they already know. You want to figure out what they will know, uh, their ability to learn new stuff, because everything changes. And it, it can be things like, yeah, it doesn't matter if you do this in Scala or Java or C Sharp or whatnot. I mean, that's not point here. The point is how we address a certain problem and how you solve it. So, but that being said, it's not easy to to, um, to figure out the best because you can argue that maybe the test should be in an interview setting that there's no time to preparation. Uh, but that could also sometimes stress out some people a bit, uh, which might, you know, impact the result. If not, like it's the stress is what you want to test, uh, and sending out, of course, assignments and stuff like that. And maybe you know people are really busy. There are different opportunities. Maybe then it's a no, it's not worth it. Okay, then you can argue that maybe then that that guy wasn't for us. But you never really got into a position where you kind of got where you could explain a bit what you do and so forth. So it's, it is tricky uh, for sure, but I think the key thing is to get into that the dialogue because then you also share in the discussion about the solution, they will learn something about what's expected and also how the thinking goes uh, you know, from, from the recruiter side. So I think that's something to, to, to strive for. Personality test otherwise, I mean, that's more like HR, I guess. Uh, when you know you do this standardized test and they're supposed to tell you how you are, uh, so I, I don't want to comment on that. But it's uh, nothing. The companies I've been working have been really maybe for some more senior management roles. It's oh, they do it, but for developers and and that kind of more creative people, I think uh, hasn't been that common. And I, I haven't seen really if it's good or bad. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I don't know about those parts. I think it's all dependent on the type of role that you're actually recruiting mm. for. If it is a developer role, then there's always some kind of like, do a little bit of coding here just so I can see what level you're at. But then mm. there are other certain ones where you can just basically just have a conversation and you can gain enough out of a conversation with the person to know whether or not they're a good fit for the role. Um, mm. For example, we do a lot of business with King. Um, when they have a developer interview, whether it's a consultant or a full-time employee, there's always a three-stage process. You've got your technical interview, you've got your cultural interview, and then you've got your technical mm -hmm. test. But then mm -hmm. I do a lot with like DevOps and cloud uh, consultants, and that's just a two-stage interview because it's a different personality that you're looking for anyway and a different individual. So that is just a, you know, a cultural test and a technical test, uh, uh, interview, mm -hmm. sorry. And usually on the cultural one, they actually had members of the team take mm -hmm. that interview. So the technical one would be with the manager and the cultural one is just like, have a chat with some of my team members. Do you get along with them or not? And if you do, then you, you already know they're going to be a good fit. Because if the team members hated the guy in the interview, they're not exactly going to like him for the next 6, 12, 18 months that he's there as a consultant. So having bringing that process in from the early stages actually helps you in the long run rather than spending a lot of money hiring some guy in that, you could have found out on day one if he was a good fit or not. Um, I, I agree, but I also think that's important to prepare the team because 
if they don't know exactly what they are supposed to do in this maybe one hour interview, what kind of questions? It could go into tech stuff. And how do you kind of make sure that you get into a mode where you would be if that person actually were working there? So, so preparing them and helping them, uh, like what is the objective with this interview and what are we looking for and, and so forth. Uh, and that differs from team to team, right? Some uh, will immediately get it, some uh, will not. And maybe focus on some stuff that like, yeah, he seemed good, but you know, those parts she didn't uh, really, you know, perform. But maybe that was not really the point. So it's it's a challenge also to to make sure these uh, like team interviews actually works as intended. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, that's uh, one thing we do. One thing we do. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, very good point, Matt. Is we do the cultural fit before the technical part. Mm. I mean, we do a look on the portfolio, GitHub, uh, whatever is available. But usually after the initial screening, just to see if the person is actually matches the, the profile descent. Then uh, I sit down with one of my co-founders because it's a small team. And then we have one one hour interview. And that's basically 75, 50% of the time is a set of questions we have uh, built in a purpose to know uh, how this person, more like personality wise, how they solve problems, how they, how they work if they are a person that's there very into work or if they have an outside life and do other side projects but we don't get anywhere near technical and mm -hmm. one and 25 percent of the time which is probably the this is the make it or break it time in the end is when we ask them to ask questions because i think mm -hmm. that because mm -hmm. So instead of just waiting for them to just answer questions is what are the questions they have for us? And this is very interesting because we get all kinds of questions that sometimes we feel challenged, like, okay, we need to rethink that. But yeah, we never thought of that. That's a good point. Or do we want to hire a person that said that uh, or asked that? Mm. So, and then after that, we go to the technical part because because it's, I think it's like technical, technically wise, the person can still learn some things on the job if they know part. But if you don't like the person, I think it takes one person to bring down the whole team. Yeah. But you yeah. got to be careful there as well, because sometimes people can get can be very skilled and could eventually work well within the team, but they just get nervous and can sometimes blurt out something they wouldn't normally say. So it's kind of like swings and roundabouts. You'll you can't judge you know, the common saying you can't judge a book by its cover so that you know that initial first impression that you have of somebody however being so strong a lot of times benefits of the doubt that's uh key in a lot of cases so just having that second interview even if it you are moving him to the technical interview when you had a little bit of a doubt in the first place sometimes you'll actually reap the benefits from it because you know, he's gained that confidence being, yes, they've called me back. So he, he might not be, he or she, sorry, might not be as nervous in the second one or, you know, they might show a different side of their personality, which you're like, hey, you didn't show that first time around. So yeah. one-time interviews, I wouldn't recommend ever. Um, that's, you know, you always need to have at least two stages within the process. And that's whether you're hiring a consultant or a full-time employee. Consultants mm -hmm. normally two because they're only going to be there for a limited amount of time. You just can they do the job? Yes or no? Do it. And mm -hmm. then when it comes to the full time employees, that's when you've got to be a bit more clinical uh, because you want them to be you want you've got to be investing in them for years. So you have to make sure that the people are coming in. Yeah. So. Well, one tip actually that a lot of companies practice and we do as well is that once all the different stages are like done and it's like, uh, okay, let's, should we do this or not? Then you have actually a kind of a committee meeting of everyone who has met that your person. Because then uh, they, uh, even if, if the one meeting might be of a technical nature, still you do get an input from like a culture perspective as well. So having that kind of a meeting where you get all the guys together and try to say, okay, is this someone we would like to work with? Uh, anyone see any red flags or anything weird that did happen in that interview, but didn't happen in another one and so forth. So at least then you have kind of a, as much information as possible. It still will be a bit of a, you know, you're trying anyway, right? But but it helps. So so that's also something that I, I recommend. Yeah. yeah. So one, 
one point about also recruitment like the the purpose of uh, the re recruitment uh, process is of course to try to predict how well this person is going to you know perform in the team in the future um like how much do you uh, how much do you just take a snapshot of uh, just re recruitment process and what the person said and you know instead of you know look at the history of that person to try to figure out okay how was this person acting in in the um, past what kind of decisions did that person take and why instead of just you know <clears throat> how did this person perform at this interview when i posted those you know um when i posted posted some you know general questions does it, did it make sense the what i was um, yeah, I think so. I mean, typically, uh, yeah, maybe this is beside the point, but I mean, I'm taking references, right? And talking to different uh, people who have been working with these persons before. Now, since the, the, the references are given by the candidate, uh, you know, you most likely get the best ones. <laughs> but uh, still, you probably have some areas based on, 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 the, uh, on the interview uh, interviews you've had, where you think, okay, this is an area where I would like to have more clarifications. And the person, the, the reference you're talking to, doesn't know this, right? So, so you can actually dig in a bit deeper into this area, and and uh, and and the uh, and doing that and trying to have open questions like that doesn't necessarily say it's good or bad, uh, because the reference uh, person would probably would incline to, you know, still give good information about this person. So, so not putting that in position, but highlighting different scenarios and how someone actually behaved or so forth uh, can help a bit but it's um, it's it's hard I mean you won't get the full like a performance index for all the previous years they've worked or something uh, but it's at least one thing that can, can be done uh, but maybe more social and cultural than technical I would say uh, that you see someone uh, you know performs in, in, in that in the social context. Uh, that that can be uh, you, you know, references, good references could be a help there. The references <laughs> that we cover very briefly, uh, we actually get them done before we actually submit candidates. So we have mm -hmm. a um, a technical assessment. So basically, whatever position we're submitting people for, if it's a Java role, we'll you know say, uh, let me get in touch with somebody that you've previously worked with in Java. And then we'll have a conversation with them, tell me about what kind of projects he was involved with, how reliable was he, so on and so forth. So that's like one performance assessment we take. And then the other performance assessment we take is from a more managerial perspective. How quickly did he onboard? You know, did he get stuck into the team quickly? Did he need too much? Was he asking too many questions in regards? Like, did he need extra help? Or, um, you know, how was his target keeping and how did he fit in essentially? So before we even submit a lot of our candidates, we've already got a managerial assessment and a peer assessment along with a CV. So when you're actually reviewing candidates from our side, you've actually got a lot of that more rounded information, which like say for your questions on, you know, where do you find people in the recruitment process? We're kind of like ticking off quite a lot of those boxes. So you don't have to then go chasing their references, uh, which can take time, especially if you've got like if, you're a CEO and a director of engineering and a CTO. You last thing you want to be doing is like chasing people off of somebody that did. And if you're interviewing 15 people as well, the amount of references that you've got to then chase up for all mm. the, you know, that's something that you can get agencies involved in to take care of that on your behalf. Another thing that happened, especially to me in the older side, and I usually do is ask why you're giving this reference. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the reference can be, okay, it's not the manager from the previous job. Why not giving the manager from the previous job? And I've been on both ends. And uh, and it, as a candidate one time, it really helped me that I, because I said, yes, I had a bad time there. They want me to work over hours, this and this. I mean, I can give you, but the situation was that. And and the interviewer said, okay, no, that, that's fair enough. So give me another uh, reference that I can hear better from you. So I think being transparent and also asking why you gave the reference for the candidate can can be a good uh, thing. I mean, transparency always helps. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Johan, do you think 
have you got the answers that you were looking for with regards to those questions? I know there's quite a few subtopics in there, which, um, to, you know, recruitment, it's, it's not a small job at all from start to finish. Um, do you think everything's been yeah. good? happy with what the answers you received? Very happy. Yeah. Uh, so that m- means we're moving on to you now, Gus, when you're talking about, you know, how do you keep the employees engaged and motivated? Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit and ask around? Yes, uh, it's very, I mean, I've been to the situation sometimes it's very common when you're working, especially if you distributed teams or remote teams. When the team starts, everyone is excited. They deliver a hundred function points, story, epics, whatever metric you're using in the first weeks. And then sometimes they might, uh, okay, it's not that, or they are not engaged or or they get more engaged or sometimes you do a little stuff a little change on the way you work and then things start to seems to be moving fast and it seems like it's a constant work uh because especially when now on covid times people are locked in their homes and especially in stockholm small office small you have not a big yard to run through uh, and clear your mind how do you keep people motivated and want to be showing up every morning for work? Yeah, uh, Johan, do you want to take this, the reins on this one? Yeah, like, yeah. <clears throat> so in the position I'm in, uh, being a startup, I think uh, giving out equity is one of the big things you can do. Like try to really get people uh, to feel the ownership uh, to do it for themselves um, and for the group and see that they are sort of growing this together, not just getting a salary every uh, month. month. I'd say that's number one. Uh, number two, I think like also working on something that you feel is important and you want to, you know, want to do. It's not, it's not easy, but I mean, the, the end, why, like the last why should be quite important, I'd say. Like something you really want to do. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you got like a financial incentive, you got like a passion incentive as well. Uh, what about you, Max? What, what's your take on keeping your, you know, you've got quite a lot of different teams there. You can manage that quite effectively. Uh, I, I think it's uh, at the root, so to speak, it's the same challenge as it would be if everybody was in the same office. Uh, but there's another layer of, of, of issues, right? So, 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 so what I'm thinking is this, that uh, why do you want to hire like great engineers? Uh, because uh, they are problem solvers, right? They thrive to solve problems, challenging problems. If you can't provide that, then in the end, they will probably move on and be, be demotivated, right? So, so that's regardless of, of how we work and so forth. Uh, and then I think uh, what Johan mentioned, uh, also like the ownership part, that uh, you want independence, you want to feel that, okay, this is my stuff, I care about it, and I can work on this, and I can make decisions. And I'm talking about a team now, uh, typically like a five, seven-man team or whatever it is, that if you provide uh, the, the right the, the challenges that are interesting, uh, and you provide also... Um, that kind of independence, that autonomy, the, the ownership, then the work itself uh, will be hard to beat. I mean, it's hard to, 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 to find something that is more uh, like, um, uh, that you would like to do more. Now, uh, so that I think is kind of the key for retention, for instance, regardless of how we work. But what's not there, of course, is, is the other part that the, the social uh, mesh. And, and uh, uh, I think also what you touched upon, Gus, is that people working from home, uh, you have a very different scenario there where, you know, suddenly you, everything just blends in. Work, uh, home, uh, doing exercises, not doing it, going out. Uh, and that, I think, you know, uh, that is very very hard because you can't obviously force people that you, you really should go up early in the morning uh, um, so, so i don't have any like measures to, to to i just talk to everyone right and i talk to them every week and i just try to sense a bit like how are things going something you can help with and so forth but you can only do so much 
But I think the real problem is uh, still that if if the team cannot like move forward together and they don't have challenging tasks to do and so forth, then um, the motivation will drop really low. <laughs> so, so I try to address that the same way, just emphasizing even harder that uh, we we as a company move towards the, the the idea of having these fairly self-contained teams and give them a lot of authority and so forth. So. Uh, if things are not working, I try to address them even faster, just because I think this is very important. Uh, with all the other things happening anyway, that is harder to to, uh, to to manage or do anything about. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so, so yeah, no no silver bullet there either. But I, I think without those core parts, then then it won't work in the office either. Eventually. It just will take a bit longer time. And when people are sitting at home, uh, I think companies suddenly becomes more distant. The, the full company culture is not really there. So they could argue that like, okay, I'm sitting and doing this here towards this is the employer, but I could just as well do this to another employer. And the difference, if that gap is small, then, uh, you know, they say, okay, I'm not super motivated and I can just as well do this and I can try to get a better, bigger paycheck or something. So. Um, and, and you can't really do much about that. Uh, uh, the, the main point still being that, you know, it's the work itself. It's, it's that intriguing thing. They want to solve this problem. They can't stop thinking about it even in the evening. And it's fun. It's positive stress. Uh, so it's easy to say, right? But I think that whatever the company can do to, to pro pro promote this uh, will help. So people say that, okay, it wasn't nice the last six months because of this and that. But at least, actually, I, I did a lot of really fun and interesting things. Uh, then you probably did a good job. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Have you got any uh, follow-up questions on uh, that one, Gus? I mean, it's a, you could talk for hours on this subject alone, to be fair. I mean, if you're talking about how you know you need to be flexible from team to team what works well for one set of individuals you might need to have an entirely different setup for another team for example um what's your take on the responses you received so far uh for me uh yeah i mean there's a lot of topics but uh from what worked for me i think johan and Mats said basically the core it's keeping the team challenged and giving them ownership uh i think if i could add something to that would be also which is very basic but sometimes people forget especially when you have slack and all these tools is not micromanage and there's a quote i really like uh that's uh Tell people what you need from them, not how they need to do it. Mm. I think. Uh, I think that, uh, since I adopted that, I think like the teams like growing up and skyrocketing. And this goes back to the first question from Matt that uh, giving the team also an open space and leaving them with the problems. And sometimes they step out and just watch over. It's been more productive than, than stepping in and having to reply every question, every challenge, or say, uh, just do like that, just put this like this, and and just leave them figure out for the one. I mean, if the if the results, yeah, are, yeah, making people self sufficient, you know, they they feel less like robots than just being ordered around and told what to do. So if they actually thinking on their own feet on how to solve the problem rather than being dictated how to do it. You know when that problem actually does get solved they'll have a bit more of a sense of accomplishment because you know they came up with how they did it they came up with the solution for it and they actually implemented it at the same time rather than being told from start to finish how to do every little detail then what linking back to what matt said they could do that anywhere <laughs> it's not going to take much and if they can get if, you can, if they can do that job at a different company for an extra ten thousand crowns a month then they're going to do it very it's not going to take much to sway people otherwise, really. Um, but yeah, we're, we're coming towards the end of it. So um, I'm just going to throw this out there. I can pose one of Oliver's questions to the group. Um, it would be either the how to achieve the knowledge transfer and maintain quality and deliverables. But I like the idea of the telephone game question. Um, obviously, you've got lots of people in different teams that are now having to communicate to, to each other. 
and they're going to have to stay in touch or, you know, if there's an ongoing issue, you, it's not like you're in the office where you can easily collaborate and push a project forward. You know, a project that could take days, if not weeks to actually accomplish. How do you go about it without having to constantly pick up the phone every time that you've got a blocker, for example, that stops you from doing it? Um, Gus, do you want to start this one? Yes. Uh, one, I mean, because we're such a small team, it's very easy to just put on Slack and use threads. And well, sometimes the threads can get you 75, 76 responses from three people. So we need to organize that. And you usually try to keep everything organized in the terms like if it is related to a task that we have on our Jira, Clubhouse, whatever system using, we, we document that there but we try to keep the, uh, everything, the communication in one place because you can re is very easily spread out. Like some people can put on the project management system one comment, and then someone puts on Slack another comment, and then on GitHub, you can open an issue and then things start to spread out. So we try to communicate everything in one place and then have one single source of true. So keep one document uh, where everyone can consult and find the information there. And if it, that's ambiguous and no one has the answer, this is the main source of truth. So if, even if you have some other information somewhere, you need to follow what's documented there. And I think this makes easier and avoids because, yes, I, I said like you have a project management system, you have GitHub, you have Slack. And if you consider email, telephone, and WhatsApp or whatever else, you have a lot of places that information can go. So having one main source of truth for everything is, I think it's the number one for that, that might take. I can, I know exactly where you're coming from. We, we use uh, Slack, we use Teams. Uh, sometimes I'll be sent internal messages across on LinkedIn for some reason. Uh, then we've got like the whole Microsoft Outlook, people pinging emails. So when you're trying to, Right, where did he actually send me that? I've got to look through like four different areas to find that information. So the telephone game being, you know, how do we go back and forth? But what you're saying there really is just limit yourself and just put all the information in one area so it's easily accessible. Even if that thread is 75 long, um, at least all the information is there. You don't need to go looking for it. And it may, you know, end up like Chinese whispers and go a little bit off topic towards the end. But you know, at least that thread is, you know, it's easily accessible. And like you say, you know, it's, it's smart, and, smart working, really. And one more thought on that. And I think it, this is something that gets lost easily is the manager is responsible for getting that information and putting in place. And this is something I learned the hard way. You don't expect the team or the developers to everyone go there and organize the information. The manager should do that because the manager should serve the team to make them do the, what they do best and this can very be very easily lost if the if you ask the team to start organizing documentation organizing project management systems they're not doing what they do best mm. and this can also be a, a big demotivator in the long run yeah how about you johan you know if if you've got like a couple of developers that you have to deal with now and also when you're working at other entrepreneurial uh startups you know, go yeah, ahead. we do the same. We have, uh, like as Gus said, uh, one single source of truth. For us, it's GitHub issues. Uh, so, you know, we can uh, have video calls and uh, chat messages back and forth, discussing, you know, quick, rapid um, discussions. But everything needs to go into a GitHub issue in a comment or in a new issue. And uh, that's the uh, source of truth. Uh, that's where we go back to look like, okay, we, if we're picking up this discussion again, let's look at what we already decide on, decided on. So for us, it's GitHub issues. It's the holy yeah, source of truth for us. Holy grail, yeah. No, I, and I mean, it works good. Yeah. I mean, because we do a lot of open source too. And uh, like we have uh, quite many, you know, contributors to our open source projects. So it makes sense for us to... Um, yeah, working GitHub both internally and also, you know, through with our community. I, I liked what you said about um, even those small video calls that you have, because I think that's where the majority of information is lost, is where you do have that one phone call with an individual and you, you solve the issue. 
just between the two of you but then it's only the two of you that know that a lot of the time those small conversations whether this is in the office you know you know by the coffee machine or the water cooler conversation or you know in a private phone call you know they've solved the issue themselves but if they're not letting the rest of the team know how they've actually solved it then if these two guys are off sick or just not in the office that day or on holiday when someone else wants to fix it, then it's just a whole new conversation and a whole new, you know, time that has to be spent re-solving a problem that's already been fixed. Uh, so yeah, even just a small conversation, however, you know, small the resolution is, it should be logged somewhere. So it can help. And just to, just to add to that, another benefit is, um where we can do this async basically so one person can uh, write his or her uh, thoughts on the on the topic and you know you could read it you could take a walk think about it a little bit and then you can write your own response mm. uh, instead of uh, you know deciding on a meeting like a video meeting or deciding um, you know when like like on the spot, uh, so to speak. Yeah. So that's another benefit. Yeah. And I mean, Matt, this must be one of your biggest time consumers that you have to deal with is when you've got, you know, different teams all coming across with different issues, but then some of the issues overlap between the teams, but they're not, there can be difficulty finding out which person to contact in which team then is the right person for them to reach that's when the telephone game gets absolutely insane who do you need yeah. to get in touch with so how do you manage that and being in charge of all that i i think uh, one of the typical patterns is like the the catching up where something starts somewhere and it's supposedly should be a few people but then it starts spinning out and, and more and more people get engaged but they don't have the context maybe or the history mm. <laughs> so so eventually it's like you spend a lot of energy informing people that joins later about what happened earlier so that they actually can make a contribution and help solve the problem um, and i think the key there is to identify really early that this is this is not something uh, that just two guys can solve this actually and that is i think also where someone who has a bit more like a helicopter view, maybe manager or tech leader ever can identify, okay, this actually would be something that takes some time and it will involve people, maybe across different teams so forth. And then I think the, the key guy, what the guys, uh, you know, what Gus and John, John said is absolutely true. You have to have one source of truth, but you can also establish fairly soon with not much uh, like admin overhead saying that, okay, now we're more than two here. <laughs> so let's actually set up a board. Uh, uh, and set some rules around it, like if every work that actually gets done needs to have a ticket, for instance. I mean, we need now we need that. And then we have a common channel. Uh, and let's also maybe have them stand-ups, maybe every second day, uh, if, and then maybe every, every day. I mean, the team, that, because you are creating now a bit of a virtual team across maybe different areas, and you don't know how that will develop, so you need to set up the structure really early so it can scale. And that everyone that jumps in then, yeah, they can have this super long thread, it's okay, where they can start from the beginning and just read through everything or whatnot. And then, okay, now I know where you are. Uh, otherwise, yeah, it gets absolutely uh, insane. <laughs> uh, because in the end, you don't know who did what. And you have to hunt people to try to figure out like who knows about this. And, and uh, so, I, yeah, I've got burned many times. <laughs> so, so my, <laughs> My, 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 what I do now is that I try really to use my experience to see that, okay, this is gonna get big. Let's, uh, let's really set the, the, the rules for this virtual team and, and set uh, where do we keep our source of truth? What channels do we communicate? How do we interact? Uh, and then we can scale up. Uh, so, and then maybe it's only for three weeks, four weeks, but it's still worth it. Yeah. So, um, so, so I think there's a lot of uh, very smart things being said here. and. Uh, uh, because yeah, it's it's so so wasteful, <laughs> so inefficient, uh, and in the end you just look uh, like a fool. I think you know, thinking that all this, and you also get excited people because maybe someone gets stressed out because they don't have the information, and then escalate, and then someone else like so running around and just trying to calm people and try to figure out what do we even know. Uh, that is just uh, you know not you you don't want to do that. That's uh, you can spend your time doing more you know productive stuff so it's just time um, isn't it and in the in the end you know 
when it gets to that point, a lot of the time you can start getting people involved that shouldn't be involved. Like it's not their yeah. domain. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. you don't know. You just said it's apparently that person on that team. So you just mm. ring them, get them involved, set them up in a meeting, mm. get them to read through an entire chain for them to say, this isn't mm. me. It's a waste of time. So to have mm. a core person that you can go to, whether that's your manager and then it's his responsibility mm. to then find the right person rather than you just ping in five people on different teams. What's your thoughts on this? You know, yeah. the amount of time that could potentially be wasted. Yeah. It could be, yeah. you know, in terms of like man hours before the team that are able to solve it are actually put in place. It could mm. be days. Like if he spends like three hours running around trying to find that waste of 15 minutes from him, 20 minutes from him, half an hour from him, it all yeah. up. Um, and yeah, so it could be days that you're actually wasting before you even get it solved. So, mm. you know, having that one area of truth that Johan's suggesting, or yeah, it's, well, yeah, hundred uh, percent, definitely. Um, so is everybody happy with the answers they got for the questions that they asked? Um, or is someone, you know, still thinking that there's actually this one point, which after everything we've said is actually, you know, on the tip of my tongue that you want to get out at this point? Mm, no, I think, uh, you know, I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. Cause we've gone through quite a lot of different areas. Um, yeah. So everybody happy with how it's gone? Yep. Yep. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I feel this could go on for hours, but I'm happy <laughs> with this. Such is the nature of this topic, uh, scalability mm. within distributed teams. But I will.